Ushers, if you'll come forward, we'll share in our offering. Uh, thank you for giving. Everything that you'd give goes to making ministry happen, and everything that happens here happens because of that. I don't know if you noticed, the new roof is on. In uh, one week, the whole thing was done. At one point, we had, I counted, 16 people on the roof, like ants on an ant hill. And everyone with ropes hanging, swinging around, and, and it's a pretty massive size project. You made that all happen. But beyond, yeah, roof is something you can see. You don't see children right now being ministered to. You don't see families being cared for. You don't see couples in counseling. You don't see any of those things that would happen, he, you know, he, uh, that wouldn't be seen on a Sunday morning here. Thank you for giving. Your giving makes a difference. Kara mentioned a couple of things. Uh, one of the things coming up, we've got a coat drive coming up, and this is the time of year. A number of things happening, of course, with needing candy for trunk or treat. Shoe boxes will happen, and we'll have gift cards coming up too. But one of the things that you can do without having to invest money, coats. Uh, everybody's got boxes and, and closets of coats, get them washed to bring them in. Uh, it's, a, it's a great endeavor, especially if you're living in the north, uh, and we'll be taking those and delivering them. So jump in. One of the quickest ways to find belonging in any place or group is when you join in and participate in the life of the church. So by all means, all means jump in and do that. Just before we look to the word, I just a, I get a quick explanation. Uh, you might even not be able to see this, but up close you certainly can. And people have already asked me, my right eye has kind of the remnants of a black eye. Uh, so if I didn't say anything, you people would be in the dark anyway. Uh, but this side, you can see this side. Uh, and people have already asked me, oh, what happened to your eye? It looks much better now. Wednesday, by Wednesday morning, happened on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, my, my eyes nearly, you know, closed shut and I look pretty beat up. So, you know, people say, okay, what happened? Well, first thing I'm going to say, what really irritated me this morning So I came in and uh, Cam Bushy, uh, who is on our staff overseeing, you know, sound, lights, video, all that stuff. I'm in the back and he's standing there talking to me. And then, you know, you know, those moments in the middle of conversation, you know, someone's not looking at you, they're looking at you. And so in the middle of conversation, his eye, you know, it's, it's like he's just staring at my eye. So finally he goes, what's up? I go, what do you mean, what's up? The eye. And before I can answer, he goes, would you fall again? <laughs> I can still take these young kids, just so you know. Yeah, he's young and, you know, strong. I, I'll just lay on him. He's not moving anywhere. He's done. Uh, so what happened is this. Diane and I were talking about who's doing the laundry. <clears throat> and I said to her, Diane, do the laundry or else. She chose the or else, <laughs> and, I now, and I know how to now sort colors before I do laundry, so I got that down. Uh, this past week, I had a cancer spot removed. We know it was been there for a while, uh, since the middle of the summer, uh, and so, you know, it's one of those places, it's an odd spot where to get at it. You're just going to end up a little beat up and bruised, but that's all good, all is well. So my thanks for asking, and everything is good and clear. Uh, and I said to my wife, I looked in the mirror Wednesday, I said, yeah, a small price to pay for having that cancer out of there and gone. And so, but thank you for asking. That's, that's what happened. Diane, Diane is off the hook. Uh, <clears throat> today we're going to begin a new series called I Lost My Faith. 
The next four weeks, uh, we're going to explore this idea of uh, having lost your faith or feeling like you've lost your faith. Uh, uh, right up front, I'll say it's a, it's a series birth this past, during COVID. Uh, I had extra time to be reading, and so I give credit to you know, ideas and, and blogs and sermons and books and stuff I was reading along the, the, along the way that gave me material for this. But I also want to say that also behind it is not just like the thoughts I've been reading of other people, but one of the most frequent questions and statements I have heard from people in years of ministry is when you're talking to them and you hear them say, yeah, I used to believe. Uh, I, I mean, the numbers of people that I have heard or had that conversation with where they say, I used to believe, I've given up on religion, along the way I've lost my faith. I mean, the stories are so many, I couldn't begin to count them or even tell you all of the stories because that seems to be such a common thread for people. I used to believe I've lost my way, I've lost my faith, whatever. And I would also suggest that you probably have the same story, same experience. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've talked to people along the way, you've heard them say, yeah, you may have invited them to church sometime. Hey, you ought to come to church, you ought to come to the corn roast, you ought to come, we have a church event. Yeah, no, I'm okay. I, I used to believe. And there's, then the storyline starts as to what they used to experience. And so, and maybe it was a coworker, a friend, classmate, family member, but you've heard the same thing. And some of you are here today because you found your way into the church and you're not even sure why. Because you have lost your faith, maybe somewhere else along the way, but you're back here because you really like there to be faith. You really like to have it restored. And, and so maybe you're here hoping that maybe this is the place. Maybe you were invited here today because I told the whole church last week we're going to start this series. And maybe you're, a, you're invited by a coworker, a friend who said he had to come. He's going to talk about having lost your faith. And I know that's where you're at. If you are here because of that, I want to say, man, I know the courage it would take to come in. I know enough about, and I'm going to talk about that, I know enough about Christianity and churches that sometimes we lose our faith because of bad churches. And so for you to make your way in here, no small thing. So one, thanks for the courage. And you're safe, just so you know. You're safe. Not going to call on anybody, make you stand. And I hope you'll stick with me along the way. Maybe you're here and you go, I'm good, I haven't lost my faith. But you'll be encouraged by what we're going to talk about in your own walk, and you'll be better prepared to help other people uh, as we talk about these things. Now, here's the deal. For many people, I'm going to address a a particular group of people in this thought process, because they're kind of two sides. They're the people who've lost their faith, so to speak, and they're just angry. I mean, they're angry, they're shaking their fists, and and I would say that I'm going to speak to the group that I think is probably more more predominant, and that is, you're not not angry at God, you're not anti-God, you're not anti-church, you're not on some tirade against God in Christianity, you would simply say, I've just lost my faith. But it's not that simple, right? You would say, I've lost my faith, and when you say it, there's a little pain that goes with it. You know, I used to believe, and there's a little bit of a longing piece there. I used to be in a different place. I used to be a stronger Christian. I used to, you know, really be all in, and I've just lost it, if you will, along the way. Um, So I want to speak to that group in these next couple weeks. People who say they've lost their faith or they don't believe, and there's just a little bit of pain with it. And hear this next statement. There is a loneliness that happens in our lives whenever God is removed from the picture. Uh, That's just a a statement that's been been proven to be so true that whenever God is removed from the picture, there will be a lonely feeling that many of us right now know because that's where you're at. That feeling like, I'm missing something and you wish you had it. Some of us have had parents kind of keep going in thought process. Some of us have parents or grandparents who love Jesus. 
And maybe your thought process along the way is this. You know, my grandma, she loved church. She loved God. She had such a simple faith and it worked for her. And you find yourself saying, I wish I had that. I wish I had what they had. And again, there's that sense there of having missing something. Maybe for some of the people that will be hearing this, that maybe you haven't really lost your faith, but maybe your faith has really been wounded. I mean, your faith has been beat up. Your faith has been tested. Your faith, your faith has been hurt and attacked. Let's be honest. Christians in churches at times do really dumb things and hurt people along the way. I said it. Christians in churches do damage. Maybe you've been in a church where you were spiritually abused. I know some of you are here for that, that purpose. Some of you, not all, because when you have been spiritually abused by other Christians or another church setting, if you do venture into a new place, you're here hoping for something better, but you don't usually reveal that you've been abused. You know, you slip in and you slip out and you keep your distance because you have this thought, I don't want that to happen again. But some of you have come and told me your story. So maybe that's why you're here. And let's be real transparent this morning. The church and Christianity has had some pretty dark days in its history. I think we've got to be honest about that because I think oftentimes we try to talk to people about Jesus, talk about Jesus, uh, the, the, to the world about having a relationship with God. Quite honestly, it's, it, there's this big elephant in the room and there's a lot of bad history that somehow we seem to forget about or don't want to talk about. Look back at the Crusades. You know, we love that whole medieval culture thing and some of the history there. But go back and look at the Crusades. Man, the Crusades were brutal. These were Christians that were basically doing horrible things to Jews and Muslims. I mean, keep going over time. Look at what the Muslims did to the Jews back in the 7th century. You know, and all, carry, and all carrying flags with, with crosses on them because they were on a mission for God. The Spanish Inquisition, if you look at that historically... Was a, was a church-led war against people who either weren't Christians or who were not, were not worshiping correctly. You could be beaten and punished for not taking communion correctly. You could be beaten or punished for just not saying the right words in the right order in a church setting. You know, sadly, you don't have to look back even in history very far to see problems in the church, right? How about modern day? How about the abuses in the church, the abuses of money? How about the stories of the abuse of women in the church, the child abuse that has made the news all too often? Now, listen carefully. Some of you right now are thinking, okay, well, I hadn't lost my faith, but you're making a pretty good case for me. Uh, You know, I got to tell you, I'm pretty close right now. It's not my goal to talk you out of your faith, but it is my goal to be absolutely transparent because quite honestly, the church has not been. And Christians have to admit that we get it absolutely wrong sometimes. And I wonder, and I will not, I'm not asking you for a show of hands. I am not asking for a show of hands. But I wonder how many people, if I said today, how many people are here today that through your life, you have been hurt by people under the guise of religion or under the guise of loving grace, and they have done some incredibly hurtful, harmful things to you. I can tell you right now, virtually every hand in the room would go up because that is the true experience for so many of us. So yes, perhaps you could build a case against religion based on all the things that have happened in life or happened to you. But I need you to stick with me. Stick with me for these next couple minutes 
And this is kind of introduction day, so stick with me, you know, in the next couple of weeks. But, but quite literally, kind of stick with me as we walk through this. As, but here's part of the, stra- the problem. Let me just tell you a little bit as to why it is that Christianity, that faith, if you will, why it's not going away. Even if you want to say, up, oh, lost it, done, You're, it's not done. Let me tell you why, a couple of things, a couple of mysteries, if you will. First thing is this, as easy as it might be to build a case against religion or faith, the odd thing is that even though it's easy to point out the flaws, the, the, the odd thing here is even though it's really easy to point your finger at the people who have abused it, the people who have used God for their means, justify their things, even though you can look at all of that, even though all of that in our, in our life, we're a little bit like that because let's admit there are times where we use God for our advantage. Even those of us that want to write off religion because look at those people have done, we do that. You go, oh, no, no, I haven't. Yes, you do. Have you ever prayed for your team to win? I thought I'd take an easy course, the, the track here, so you didn't get too personal here. And the answer to that is yes. Every time the Yankees play the Red Sox, oh, Lord, let God's team beat the evil team. <laughs> I'll let you decide who's who in that, in that scenario. But have you ever prayed for your team to win? The answer, you have done things like that. Ever pray for your kid's team to win? I'll make it a little easier. Ever pray for your kid's team to win? Ever pray for your kid to win? How about this? You ever have a job interview and say, oh, Lord, I want that job. Forget the fact that the job you're looking at is also being looked at by a number of people who probably really, really need that job. I mean, they have, they have some real issues in their house or home or obligations to, to meet, and they could really use the job where for you it's just a stepping stone. But, you know, who cares about them? God, I need you to step in here because this is now about my agenda. The truth of it is we have done that. It might seem silly, but we've all prayed those kind of prayers where if you're honest, those moments are really trying to use God to your advantage. God, I need you to deliver for me here. But let me tell you a little, another mystery of why, you know, faith is always kind of be there. It's interesting. We've lost our faith. We've had it with religion and then trouble comes. You have an attitude that goes, you know, I'm done, I'm done believing, and then trouble comes and hardship comes, some tragedy takes place, and immediately find ourselves what? Oh, God, if you're out there, I need you to do something right now. I need you to help me, help in this situation. God, heal them. God, protect them. We always ask for God to come in in those moments and to help us. The crisis comes, and immediately we pull out the family Bible. As if we are the most religious person that's ever lived, and we got the Bible, oh, God, we need you. But maybe the issue isn't religion. Maybe the issue isn't the church. Maybe it isn't even really a loss of faith. Maybe the real issue, if we're honest, is we don't really know who God is. Maybe the issue is we don't have a really good view and understanding of who God is. Maybe all that frustration that you feel, maybe all that doubt, all those bad experiences that you've had, maybe the real issue comes down to this. Does God really care about me? Maybe the real issue comes down to this. You know, is, is there anyone out there? And if there is a God out there, God, you know, I believe in you, I always have, but I gotta know, do you, do you really exist? But the question goes beyond that. The question goes to this. If you really do exist, do you know me by name? And can I know you in that personal kind of sense? And if you do know me by name, do you care about me? Let's be honest, isn't that really the root issue for many of us in a, in a dip, difficult time of questioning our faith? If God, if you're there, do you care about me? 
Listen, if you've ever gotten to the point when you've said, enough, that's it, no more faith, I would again suggest to you it's an incredibly lonely place when you try to eliminate God out of your picture. Things don't get better. They get worse. Why? Because there is something in each of us that wants there to be a God and needs there to be a God. Let me give you a statement that I think you'll agree with. Uh, You know, if you look at just religion, I'm going to use the word religion in general here. If you look at religion, there's a lot of religious stuff out there and and a lot of faith-based groups that just have all these requirements of you. They make you jump through the hoops, right? I mean, you got to kneel here, nail there. You got to say this prayer this way. You got to do X, Y, Z, blah, blah, blah. But I'll tell you right now, I would do every and any of the crazy religious stuff that I'm asked or told to do if I had a clear awareness that there is a God and he knows me by name and he cares about me, right? I mean, you have that awareness, you'll do anything because we care that deeply about spiritual issues. So here's the deal, religion, faith, I gotta tell you, it's not going away. I don't care what happens in the world. I don't care about some of you think the end times are here and they're gonna stop out the Christians and you know, the, this group or that way, they're gonna conquer us. Faith in Jesus Christ, the power of God, it's never going away. I mean, one key reason is because in our human nature, we have this desire, we have this draw, we have this pull for there to be a God. A God who can be known and a God who knows us. So for the person who's lost faith, who's walked away, Regrets and you know, just, just rejects all of it and yet cries out in pain in a crisis and says, why me? Do you realize even if a person totally has no concept of God and in that moment says, why me? Do you realize the, quest, the question itself begs for there to be a God? That question says, I need there to be some kind of reason for all of this. Somehow there's gotta be something that makes sense even if you've totally rejected God when you ask the question, why me? So religion, faith, God, it's not going away. As disillusioned as you might be, as fed up with religion, as fed up with, with people as you might be, you're still hanging on to the edge because we have this hope that something will change. So I want to talk about that these next couple of weeks. Now, here's a thought of you, a thought for you. What if the real problem is that we keep looking for God in the wrong places? What if the problem is, and maybe we've allowed God to be defined for us uh, from other people's views, other people's models. Maybe you've grown up and you've allowed people to paint the picture of what God looks like and who he is, as opposed to letting just the Bible paint the picture. Letting God paint the picture. So to get us started this morning, I want us to take a look at a guy in in the scripture I told you introduction, so we're going to take just a couple minutes here and look at this particular story as we kind of use this as a springboard. I want to look at a guy, and I want to look at the story of his his de his deconverting, his de you know conversion process. Uh, and that's not a unique statement to me. That's one of the things that I read. I want to talk about the deconverting process because one of the things I read that just hit me was like, man, how true that is. If you're ever going to convert to something, you're convert you're deconverting from something. 
If you make a decision to follow Jesus and you say, I'm going to convert to following Jesus, you're deconverting from something, something. You have some, some thought process, some, some standard by which you live that you're leaving. And in our story here, we have a guy who has actually recorded the deconversion process. You, every one of us, whatever we believe, we believe something as opposed to something we don't believe. So if we move to the thing we believe in, we're leaving the thing that we used to believe in. That just makes sense to me. So the story of this guy is the story of his deconversion, if you will, from Judaism to becoming a follower of Jesus. He deconverts from being a faithful, faithful Jewish leader to being a follower of Jesus. And in the story, we find some incredible insights, but specifically in this deconversion process, we hit upon his story shows, shows us, lights up the way for us, we hit upon the, the, the thing, the thing. Remember I said the thing. The thing that brings it all into clarity. The thing which is the starting place for having connect, connection with God. It's the thing that if you feel like I've lost my faith, it's the thing that gets you back to faith. It's the thing that starts it right. It's the thing that puts it all in focus. And in the story, it kind of pops out, though even subtly for some. And I said a connection with God. It doesn't bring out the clarity of what rules you're supposed to follow. It doesn't bring out clarity as to what the new traditions you're supposed to do, uh, not when to sit or when to kneel and whatever. Uh, you know, it's, it's none of those things. It's not about prayers. You have to repeat a certain way at a certain time or length. No, 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 that. It's talking about this connection with God. So the story we're going to look at is from the Bible. Immediately, you could be here this morning that would say, stop right there. I reject the Bible. Now, admittedly, if that's where you're at, yeah, 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 it can be a little work here, but stick with me for a moment. Let me tell you something that'll help you. The story we're going to look at, so here's the background. The story we're going to look at is a story of a guy, the accounting of a guy, that was actually written uh, just a few years after Jesus lived, died, and came back to life again. Uh, it's, the, it's a document that was put together, and in this document, it was a description of not only his deconversion process, but it was a description of a number, a number of other things and events that was taking place. They were all written down. This document was written and floated around the Middle East for 200 years. And not just it, but it was copied because this is a great story. It was a well-known person. And so people got copies of it. They passed it around. And, and for 200 years, it would be passed around from person to person, group to group, finding its way all, all, all over the, not just the country, but all over the world, the known world at that point, and even ending up kind of landing in Egypt. And it was about 200 years when a group of Christians said this, you know what, we've got this document and we got a bunch of other documents and letters and stories that have been recorded. Why don't we all kind of package them together? And if you put them all together and look at them, you have the story of Christianity and what we would call today the New Testament. And so if you say, you know, oh, wait a minute, I reject the Bible and the New Testament's part of the Bible. And I would say, yes, it is, but hear me out. The story we're going to look at and the document we're going to read this morning preceded the Bible, if you will. It preceded this collection that's been put together. And historians would agree that this precedes, quote, unquote, the Holy Bible Word of God. So if you're going to reject the Bible, sorry, you can't reject this one. Because it's a document that we can back up and say, you know, right, you know, right here and here's the story. So today we're going to look at in the book of Acts. We're going to look specifically at chapter 26. And this is the story of the Apostle Paul. 
This is a story of the Apostle Paul going from uh, being a Jewish leader, a Jewish zealot, a radical, to becoming a follower of Jesus. It's his story. Let me give you the background of the story because we don't have time to read it all, so I'll just paint the picture. By the time that this account is written down and recorded, Paul is now a follower of Jesus. Don't forget his name used to be Saul and got changed to Paul in the process. At this point in time in the story, Paul was now a follower of Jesus and a powerful preacher and follower of Jesus. But it wasn't always that way. You know the background. The Apostle Paul was a devout Jew. He was an Orthodox Jew. Uh, Not only that, but he believed that Christianity was a pagan cult that needed to be stopped. I can't resist this next statement. There's a lot of Christians today that see a lot of the stuff going on or out there that would say this is pagan stuff that really needed to be stopped. Now, I'm not saying that it shouldn't, but I just want to remind you, the Apostle Paul saw Christianity as a pagan cult that had to be stopped. And he was basing that on his belief in his following of who? God Almighty, the God of the universe. And he thought this was the wrong thing. He devoted himself with the support of other religious leaders to stomp out this group called the Way, these followers of Jesus, to punish them, to torture them, to kill them, persecute them, all in the name of God. He becomes a follower of Jesus, and it's unbelievable. This is a guy that would be chasing down Christians to punish them, to to beat them, to torture them, to actually kill them. And now he becomes a follower of Jesus and and incredible. It's like, is this the same guy? In fact, if you read some of the historical accounts of it, you'll find that many, many Christians would have nothing to do with him. Probably two reasons why. One would be that part of us that we all have that says, well, you hurt me. You hurt us. And so we're never going to forgive you. Some of us have been there, right? We're never going to forgive you unless you really show yourself worthy, blah, blah, blah. Others wouldn't accept them just because of fear. I mean, their thought process is you can't have a transformation like this. You can't go from hating Christians and killing Christians to the fact that you're now a follower of Jesus. I think it's fake. I think he's just, I think he's tricking us. I think he's trying to use this so so he can kind of infiltrate the group and then know who we are. And so a lot of people just rejected him. It really thought that. That was really the thought process. And eventually, over the course of the story, Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he's going to go preach at the temple, which would have been okay because don't forget, he was a devout Jew and he was actually a Pharisee. So he would be, I mean, anybody could, could speak in the temple courts, but uh, he would be encouraged because of his background. So he goes there and he preaches. The problem is he's not pe- preaching the message they expected. His new message is Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And by the way, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Oh, man. That set the world upside down for them to the place where they're angry. They have him arrest. Roman soldiers arrest him. They want him beaten. They want him killed. And the Roman soldiers are happy to oblige. And they treat him horribly. If you read the account, they treat him horribly. And they're re- literally ready to, to beat him, to beat him with lashes. The same kind of lashes that they would typically have used in, in beating Jesus before his death. They laid him out in the, on a, on a, on a, over a rock or a board, whatever it may be. They're ready to beat him. And he says this. Of course, I'm paraphrasing. He says, hey, hold on one second. Is this your custom? He's talking to Roman soldiers. And he goes, is it your custom typically? I mean, just, just, just asking here for clarity. Is it your custom typically to beat Roman citizens without a trial? You need to see it's the game stopper right there. Because there were real specific rules in place. And these Roman soldiers would have been scared to death because they violated a rule because he's a Roman citizen. So they actually asked him, wait, 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 hold on. Are you saying you're a Roman citizen? And he goes, yeah, from birth, even worse. 
So these guys would now be looking, you know, it's like when you're, you're a Christian, you know you're a Christian, and you do something, you say something, somebody cuts you off, you know, whatever, and then you get out of the car and, you know, someone sees you, watch the whole thing and say, oh, hey, I saw you in church on Sunday. And you're going, duh, you know, uh, what'd you see exactly? Oh, I saw everything. You know, you have those moments where you're just wondering, you know, so these guys are there going, oh boy, what did we do? Did we, did we, did we cross the line? Well, the truth is they did, they're scared to death. So they hand him over to the authorities. They hand him over to the local magistrate. They don't know what to do with him. The magistrate meets with Paul, hears the story, and he doesn't know what to do with him. He goes, man, I can't figure out why they're so angry at you. They want you put to death because I can't, I can't find justification. This, but he doesn't know what to do because clearly everyone's worked up. Happens to be a king in town called King Agrippa. Agrippa's in town and <clears throat> he'd have some significant authority. And so he says to the king, you know what? I got this guy, Paul here. I'm going to have him come to be in front of you in court. And Agrippa, he's all in. So yeah, bring him on. Side note for you, if you just want to know some history here, biblical history. Agrippa, King Agrippa is the grandson of King Herod. This is the King Herod back in Bethlehem that when Jesus was born went and had all the babies killed. So we're we're talking, you're not too far along in the family line here of this. So Agrippa entertained, has Paul come into the court and looks at Paul and says, so what's your story? So Paul begins to tell his story. Paul talks about his background. He talks about his credentials, talks about the schools that he attended, the good grades he had, all his affiliations, says that not only was I a zealous Jewish guy, but I was actually a Pharisee. I mean, this guy's got, Paul's got the credentials that they all would have looked at him and said, wow, yeah, you're the guy. But this is what they couldn't understand. They could not possibly understand how do you have that background and then be in the position you are right now where you renounce all of that that would have had him couldn't understand the deconversion because he was faithful so that's where we're at in the story and Paul begins to tell his story verse 9 Acts 26 so he says this that there's a whole group that they were they were out to get get the Christians and here's what he says I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. In short, he basically says this, folks, I was convinced that I was doing the right thing. That's the whole statement. I was convinced that this is what I was supposed to do. I was convinced that this was the right thing. I was convinced that this is what I was supposed to commit my life to, opposing this radical group, this pagan group. Adds what verse 10. And that then he says, and that is just what I did in Jerusalem. I was sure that's what I was supposed to do, and that's what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I even cast my vote against them. The record we have of the, of the first martyr, Paul was right there and gave it, you know, didn't, didn't throw the rock, but says, absolutely, good job, guys. He goes, that, that was me. That was my history. Now, make sure you get this. Paul thinks that by hurting people, Christians, by punishing them, by putting them to death, catch this, he believes that he's serving God. He believes that by hurting Christians, he's serving God. Now, just sign I've been in church a long time. I think there are Christians out there, even in the church today, that think by hurting other Christians, they're serving God. Couldn't be more wrong, but that's what he believes. He sees his actions, and this is gonna be hard to believe, he sees his actions as being pleasing to God. You know, he's not just a vigilante. I mean, he's, he believes he's serving God and doing the right thing. Verse 11, many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I, I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. 
Paul says, I was a part of it. I was a part of the torture. I was a part of, I would hold them at knife point, getting them, threatening to beat them or beating them to the point where I would try to get them to blaspheme and to basically say, no, Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. He is not the son of God. He was committed to a, a, he was a committed believer to a religious system. And that was his system. Top of all that, he says, not only was it enough for me to do in Jerusalem, but he said, I, I took my horror show on the road. Why? Because he had a mission from God. That's what's motivating him. He's serving God. So he goes, hey, I left Jerusalem. I went to the surrounding communities, uh, place to place, country to country, you know, to fulfill my mission for God. That was his statement. Verse 12. And then he says, now he's getting into the heart of it. So don't forget, here's my credentials. And then he says, and then on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. It's about noon. And King Agrippa, I want you to hear this. As I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and blazing around all of my companions. Stop right there. Make sure you, I, I, I've said this multiple times through my ministry. Make sure you read the Bible with color, not just black ink on a page. If you're in this courtroom and Paul's telling the story, Agrippa would have been right leaning in. Because when he would have known Paul's history, he would have heard the story. And, and on top of that, please know, he would have endorsed Paul. Now, please know, Agrippa would not have the ax to grind like Paul did. You know, I'm not sure that Agrippa saw this as some pagan group because the bottom line is, you know, King Agrippa's part of the Roman culture. Man, it's all pagan groups to him. So he's not really worried about this, you know, this pagan group compared to Judaism. His statement is this. He cares about the Roman Empire. He cares about keeping peace. And these Christians were not keeping peace because they had this radical thought that people couldn't hurt them because they only answered to God. I got to tell you, when you got people who go, I answer to God, I'm on fire for him, that's a threat. And that would, that would upset the culture. So that's why he'd be on board saying, yeah, get rid of him, that's fine by us. No issues there. So he's leaning into the story. Now, at this point, this would have all been very, very confusing. Confusing for Agrippa, confusing for anybody that would have been working alongside of Paul, Saul, during all these times. Why? Because they were all serving God together. I mean, they're with him serving God. Paul's view of God was all wrong. He thought that he was doing God a favor. He wasn't losing his religion. Catch this. He wasn't losing his religion. He wasn't losing his faith. He was the most faithful person he ever saw. He was the most faithful person he knew. But he had a totally wrong view of God. But he was convinced that it was right. Right there, just as a sign note for you, right there is human nature. You can be absolutely totally wrong in your view of God and be absolutely convinced that you're right. So we've got to be very, very careful. And then there's this odd statement in the text um, he, uh, you know, that, he, that pops into the story. Let's go back to the text. It says this. It says, verse, uh, verse 14. It says, we fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So now notice something real quick. Look at the detail he gives. He's, he, he, everyone's leaning in. He goes, so this bright light. And they believed in the supernatural. There was no issue. So this bright light, brighter than the sun. And I hear this voice. And notice the detail, this voice. And it speaks to me in Aramaic. Now, side note, what was the language Jesus spoke? Aramaic. Well, the Bible tells us it was, it was the voice of Jesus. And he goes, so I hear this voice and, and, and it, he's speaking to me. And again, this would have been confusing because everyone's going, man, you're so faithful, but 
What's going on here that would cause this change? Totally wrong view of God. And then you have this line that comes in here that says, and some of you perhaps in your years of being a follower of Jesus, you've read this and so you've researched it, but it says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Kind of like, it's kind of hard to kick against the goads, isn't it? And some of you are going, what exactly is a goads? Uh, thank you for asking. I'll tell you what that is. So a goat is a, long, is a big stick, but don't think stick like this. Think of like a big heavy pole with a big steel tip, a, a point on the end, a steel point on the end. You go, oh, a spear. Looks like a spear, not a spear. Well, what was it used for? It was used for goading animals. So you got animals that have a will of their own. Well, I guess people have will of their own too. But you go, animals have a will of their own, and they're not going to move, so you take the thing and you stick them. That's why I say it's not a spear. Because if you have your whole, you know, your cattle and your sheep or whatever, you're not looking to spear them every time you want them to go. So it had a a tip on it that would be pointed, but not something that would harm them. So the bottom line is they won't won't go. You give give them a shot and they'll go. The other side of it is it's stout enough that, you know, you got a donkey that sits down and says, I'm not moving. You're trying to get into a pen and something's not going. Well, you can walk up with a stick, stick it in an angle behind them at an angle, leverage it and just push it. They're going. And now, now you get the picture, right? You can kick against that. You can fight it. You can hate it. You can butt it with your head. But it, you're not winning. See, that's what he's saying to Paul. He goes, listen, I got news for you, buddy. He says, you're fighting a losing battle here. You know, you're going after me. You're going after my people. And you think that you can stop this thing? Just so you know, it's kind of tough kicking against the goads. You're not going to win. Jesus, specific, speaking specifically to Paul, says, you're fighting a losing battle. Verse 15. Then I, and so then so got Jesus speaking, so then Paul says, so then I ask, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. So he's, okay, Paul, stand up. Uh, I'm now going to give you the key truth. I said before that we see this key thing, which is the key to, to connecting with God. It's the key to the starting point. It's the key for the, the refinding of your faith if you've lost it. He says to Paul, now stand up because I'm gonna give you a statement here. He says, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna go do and what you're about. And that's add verse 17 and 18 in. He says this to Paul, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to the power of God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified in me. So Paul said, he says to Paul, so Paul, I'm sending you to the people. Well, what people? All the people. Jews and Gentiles, I'm sending you to the people, regardless of what language they speak, regardless of where they live, I'm sending you to all the people, um, because you got a story to say. Now catch this carefully. I'm sending you to the people in the world who believe all sorts of crazy things. I'm sending you to the people in the world, now think about this in our political climate, I'm sending you to the people in the world who believe the opposite of you. I'm sending you to the people who you believe they couldn't be more wrong. I'm sending you to the people who think that they have the perfect perspective of God and they don't. I'm sending you to people whose impression of God has come from some pretty bad models that they've seen in their lives. Paul, I'm going to use you to open the eyes of people to a single truth that will actually change them. And if you've lost your faith, we'll reset the scale for you. 
I'm sending you to people who have just embraced the things that they've been told as children, and that's led them down a bad, bad path. I'm sending you to people who have been deceived and manipulated and abused. I'm sending you to people who have been beaten up by the church, who have been beaten up by Christians, who have been given up on by the church. I'm sending you to people who continue to live their life in guilt and in fear, even though they go to church and they try to do all of the right things they're told to do, pray a certain way, sit a certain way. I'm going to go send you to people who who just live their whole life in guilt and fear, hoping that maybe at the end of the day they'll get it right, not go to hell. Paul, you're going to show people the true starting point in knowing and understanding that God is real. And it's the core of their faith. And we just read it. But my guess is most of us missed it. Because I have. I know it's there, but I forget the power of it. And he says it in verse 18. He says, I'm sending you so that, there it is, first part, so that they may receive forgiveness. I'm sending you on a life mission so that people might receive forgiveness of their sins. That's the, that's the moment. That's the point. That's it. That's it. See, the thoughts of so many people, let me tell you now why that's so critical. You see, the thoughts of so many people when we talk about God, this is the thought process. Okay, God. Okay, Jesus. So what do you want from me? You see, the thought from so many people as a relationship with God is all about what does God require of me? What does God want from me? So I, I picture people looking at Jesus saying, oh, say, well, so what are you after? Jesus answers, said, what am I after? Well, here's what I'm after. I want people who are in darkness to live in light. I want people who are sincere. I want people who are beat up. I want people who are trying to find their way full of guilt and grief and, uh, and, and you know, just, trying, just trying to figure out what do they have to do. I want people who have given up. I want people who have been given up by other people that said there's not, no use. I want people who are devout and devoutly believe whatever it is they, they believe in. I, I want people to experience, all of them, to experience forgiveness of sins. That's what I want. And if you're the people, you're going, so wait, wait, wait. You, you mean to say that you're not coming to take something? You're actually coming to give something? And Jesus would say, exactly right. I'm not here to take anything. I'm here to give you something. And Paul, I want you to spend the rest of your life helping people know the real me. And the real me is I'm the one who forgives sins. I'm the forgiver of people. Now, let me get into the point here where it gets kind of amazing to me. Let me tell you something that we all have in common. Let me tell you you, what you have in common, Christian to non-Christian, Baptist to Muslim. I don't care what what your political stance is. Let me tell you the one thing we all have in common. Do you know that you have never in your life, you have never met a person, you have never been in the presence of someone who has never had to ask people to forgive them? You have never been in the presence of someone who hasn't needed to ask people to forgive them. You've never been with people in, their, in your entire life, people including yourself, who can say, I've never fallen short of the world's expectations. I've never fallen short of the world's expectations. I've never fallen short of your expectations. I've never fallen short of God's expectations. I've never fallen short of my own expectations. You've never met anyone who can say, I've never blown it. I have never fallen short. Even my own expectations. Well, you've heard me say this before. If today we gave you a piece of paper and a pen, 
Or go to your computer screen. I remember a little older than you are. I got it. But, you know, you, you get your pen out, get your computer out. And I'm going to say, listen, you got the, all week to type out the rules by which you live your life. We'll let you set the rules. You type all the rules up and you come back and say, this is it. These are the rules by which I'm going to live my life. Do you know you can't keep your own rules? You can't even keep your own rules. You can't even live up to your own expectation. You've never been with someone your whole life that can say, got it. Got it right every time. Nope. Every person you've ever been with, with has needed to seek out forgiveness or at least should have. This is what we have in common. Believer in God, not a believer in God, have religion, no religion. Whether you worship, worship in kneelers in a cathedral, whether you worship some idol you see on TV, where you worship outdoors, whatever it might be. All of us know that we have falling short and we always fall short. We know it, we got it. And friends, this is the starting place. So here's what you can hear here. I want you to hear this. This is the starting place. This is the key. This is the intersection. This is the intersection of your life with God. That you, when you get to a place where you say, agreed, yes, I have fallen short, but I can be forgiven. This is the, this is the moment. This is the intersection. This is the core of restored lost faith. This is the core of beginning a, 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 a life of faith. Now, track with me for just a moment. In our lives, in our relationship lives, what is the great restorer of relationships? What's the great restorer in marriage relationships? Husband and wife, you're at odds with each other, maybe the brink of divorce. What is the great restorer of marriage relationships? What is the great restorer of family relationships? Brother versus brother, sister versus sister, brother, sisters. The family dynamic where there's warring between the family members. We all know that. But what's the great restore of broken families? What's the great relationship restore of you and your boss, of you and a coworker, of you and, and, a, and a teammate, of you and a neighbor? Let's be honest. We've got relationships with neighbors, and they're not all great. So, but what is the restoring moment? What's the restore of relationships, of all relationships? You know what it is? Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the restorer of relationships. I've been doing marriage counseling a long, long time, and you bring two people in that are willing to embrace the concept of forgiveness, that couple will live a long life until God separates them through death. You walk in and you reject forgiveness one side or the other, that's nothing but trouble. Forgiveness is the restorer of relationships. Forgiveness is what restores, rekindles, relights up, refires up relationships with people. And God says to Paul, Paul, your lifetime journey, your message is that I am the God who forgives. And friends, you don't get that anywhere else when it comes to the core forgiveness of the fact that we fall short. In the moment when I am willing to admit that I, I have and I do fall short of people's expectations, of God's expectations, of my own expectations, at that moment, you are ready to receive complete forgiveness. And in that moment, please know, in that moment, a new religion doesn't start. In that moment, God says, great, here's a list of rules. Here's how you're going to kneel here, pray here. And that's not it. At that moment, relationship begins, a connection with God begins. Listen closely. Just about done. Whenever forgiveness between you and God is front and center in your relationship with him, 
then you've got the right picture of God, the picture of forgiveness. And when that happens, when what's front and center in your thought of who God is, is this picture of a forgiving God, being forgiven by God, you need to know that when that happens, all the other distractions all fall off to the side. And let's be honest, when it comes to walking with God, we've got a lot of distractions. We've got a lot of people that say, hey, hold on, you know, hold just a minute. Look at all the Christians and how bad they have been. When front and center is a God that forgives you, that distraction goes away. I've talked to people and they go, yeah, hold on, Scott. If there's really a God, all the suffering in the world, how can there be evil in the world? Listen, when the front and center statement is God is the forgiver of sin and I have fallen short, when your focus of God is forgiveness, all the other things kind of fall aside. It doesn't mean they're not important, but they no longer are smoke screens that distract us. That would have us say, well, I've fallen, I lost my faith because look at these people, look at this. Nope. When you're focused on the forgiveness and peace of God, everything changes. All the distractions fall off to the side. Forgiveness reignites and restores relationships. I want to remind you, there is no other world religion. There is no other belief system that has as its core a God who is perfectly holy and a God of the universe who comes for the sole purpose of giving you something, giving you forgiveness. Every other world belief system, you have to fight to get it. You got to work off the guilt. You have to work off the sin. You have to somehow atone for it. You have to make it right. You spend your whole life trying to earn that feeling of righteousness. Christianity is the only one where Jesus comes to give us something and not take something. A God who says, I didn't come to control you. I came to restore you and to make you whole. So until next week, would you consider this? If you have ever felt, ah, I'm losing my faith. Ever felt like I've lost faith. I'm tired of it. I'm just enough of it. Maybe it's not God that you've given up on. I mean, quite honestly, who gives up on being forgiven? I mean, who would do that? Somebody who says, I'll forgive you. I forgive you. You're worthy of being forgiven. I'll forgive you. Who gives up on that? I would suggest it's not God. I think you're giving up in the wrong, you're giving up in the wrong picture. You're looking at the wrong picture. Paul spent his entire life on one message. Jesus came to forgive you the forgiveness of sins. So here's my closing statement. Don't let the world change that message. Don't let your experience with people change that message. Simple message. You are forgivable. God loves to forgive. Stand, please. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I can't hardly even communicate my heart because I have seen so many people walk away from their faith, they got an issue, but if you dig in and get down to it, you find out that it's all the wrong stuff. It's all the wrong stuff that they're reacting to or seeing, it's the wrong stuff other people are doing. When we keep front and center that God came, you came into this world, you gave Paul this message, you sent your son that, that for this purpose, that you came that we could have, be forgiven of our sins. I mean, the, the, the thing that we long for is to be made whole and clean and not, even, not, not worry about a past and nothing else in this world can offer that, but you can. For the person that's here this morning that would say, yeah, I used to believe and I lost my faith,
how do you how do you lose the forgiveness piece so I think we might be looking at the wrong stuff so this week in every one of our lives whether we have lost our faith whether we're still true blue in our walk with you would we this week would you just purposely in our minds keep bringing in front of us that you are the God who forgives us of our sins and you do so with joy dismiss us in your grace in Jesus name amen God bless you